0: Now this is recording.
1: RTI International Center for Forensic Dian. presents Just science. Just science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. In this special release season of Just Science, we discuss leadership with prominent names in the forensic community. This episode features Martina Bison-Huckabee, the director of the Center for Executive Education at West Virginia University's College of Business and Economics. Just Science examines how understanding and relating with people separates leadership from management. Taking business techniques and human psychology into a crime lab leadership position can be challenging. Martina Bison-Huckabee shows how West Virginia, University, ASCLAD, and the National Institute of Justice are aiding forensic scientists who are seeking leadership help. This season was funded by the National Institute of Justice's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Here's your host, Dr. John Morgan. Welcome to the
2: Just Science Podcast, the podcast for forensic science professionals We're- here this week at the American Society of Crime Lab Directors meeting in Dallas, Texas, in early May. Today we're actually going to be having a discussion with Martina Bison-Huckabee from West Virginia University. Are you the Executive Director of the WVU Leadership Academy?
0: Uh, I'm the Director of a Center for Executive Education and the Forensic Management Academy.
2: Forensic Management Academy at West Virginia University. (laughs) At West Virginia University. uh, Certainly the leading professional development academy for leadership development and forensic sciences in the country. Thank you for
0: that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So Martina and I have gotten to know each other uh, a lot more because she's been working on some of the other activities that RTI has been involved in, not only part of the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, but also our National Forensic Science Academy work, which is also a leadership development academy, trying to develop a certification program associated with this area. Martina, welcome.
0: Thank you for the great introduction, John.
2: <laughs> so one of the things that's really interesting here to a lot of forensic scientists is the idea that, well, why do I need to learn leadership per se? Why don't we start with that in terms of you know, your view of the importance of leadership in the forensic science community?
0: Certainly. So, in the forensic community, very often we have uh, people that are hired as bench scientists that are very strong technical skills, and uh, they spent uh, all their education and experience uh, cultivating their excellence in the technical field. And then, uh, what happens, as in many other scientific uh, industries, not just in forensics, this, uh, we find that everywhere, because of that, they are rewarded with a leadership position. So, they start as supervisors, then eventually they become uh, managers of a unit, and they become crime lab directors, but very often this progression is made without realizing that they have to learn a new set of skills. And so for that reason, we, we started developing, we started looking into this uh, over ten years ago and started developing what was the beginning of a Forensic Management Academy. Because uh, you know, just like we were listening in the session today, really um, lots of problems that can arise in the lab have to do with the human relations. That's what leadership is about. Is about, you know, uh, making sure that people work at their greatest potential. And in order to do that, you have to be focusing on cultivating people around you. So this is not something that they're necessarily focusing on. So they really need to do a mind shift. All these type of uh, skills uh, that have to do with communication, they have to do with uh, team building, conflict management, motivation. These are going to be part of their jobs now, so that they really need to concentrate on that. So Um,
2: how did you learn about leadership and management yourself? How did you build the expertise to lead this effort? Oh,
0: that's an interesting question. Well, it's
2: intimidating, frankly. I mean, that's a difficult area in some respects.
0: I guess uh, I maybe had a similar experience (laughs) without realizing because uh, I also was... um hired in an organization. It's actually an entertainment company. (laughs) Uh, I used to work for uh, Saban Entertainment. They used to do programs like the Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. And uh, grew very quickly from being uh, a legal assistant to become a director of an area. And so that was trial and error. I really didn't think much about that. I was just uh, you know, very much trying to get things done. I was more as a manager, more than a leader. So we were in Los Angeles mm-hmm. at the time. Because my family relocated to West Virginia 17 years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, reinvent uh, myself, and I decided to go back to school. And I did my MBA at West Virginia University in the college where I work. But I was really interested in leadership development in, in organizational behavior. So I went to work for a company called CLG, which is Continuous Learning Group, and they do basically performance improvement using applied behavioral science. So I have that background. At that point, my predecessor, Maria Mancini-Yester, she actually told me that there was a position opening, and I really wanted to uh, be able to use this skill set to develop new programs also for the state of West Virginia and for the university I just graduated. So I applied for the position and I became the associate director.
2: There are two things you said that I think are very interesting. I'd like to tear them apart before we get any further. Sure. One is you made the distinction, which I think is a very important one between leadership and management. And it's the distinction, I think, that somebody who is new into the area is most likely to say, well, I don't need leadership. I'm a manager, right? When I manage, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So tear that apart for us a little bit, just definitionally, if nothing yes, else.
0: Yes, management is you're orientated on tasks, on uh, getting things done, on process improvement, uh, more than people. And conversely, leadership is about developing people, the people around you, establishing a vision and, and having people follow you. Uh, leadership is not a matter of a position, it's a matter of an attitude, and particularly the attitude of developing others. That's where you really stop concentrating on yourself and you really concentrate on, on really bringing out the best in the people that are around you. So when you're, when you're new in a capacity of a manager or a leader, you generally concentrate more on, on getting things done, you know, getting your numbers done without thinking of the people that are part of the process.
2: Right. Leadership so, is about service in some respect, right? It is
0: absolutely about service. In fact, there's a whole concept of servant leader, which is one of the books we actually give uh, participants to read in, in the program, mm-hmm. which is it is about removing the obstacles for the people around you so that they can you know, deliver you know, what you ask them to do.
2: And anybody in an organization can be a leader. You don't have to have necessarily yes. formal authority to be a leader, yes. right?
0: Yes, exactly. So there are different definitions of management and leadership, and I think they are a little bit situational. So the one that I generally use is the one that management is about tasks and leadership is about people. Very often we look at, uh, you know, manager more of starting position and leadership more of a, you know, like director level. So it kind of depends on the the context that you're using it. And sometimes they even feel like management has a negative connotation Mm -hmm. and leadership has a positive connotation but I do think there are two halves of the same. One of them is uh, you know, related to tasks, more like project management, process improvement, so like the operations mm-hmm. part of a business, while leadership is about the people.
2: The other thing I want to expand on that you mentioned is your background in, I'll call it applied behavioral psychology, is that a yes, reasonable yes. way to call it? Yes. And I guess part of it is that I think there's been a time When there was a focus really truly on management per se, you know, the old Peter Drucker school, which had enormous value in its time. And people talked about leadership, but when they talked about leadership, it was mostly, you know, wisdom. Let's put it that way. And when they went beyond that, they sometimes were a little too soft. (laughs) You know, it's like, what are you even talking about, man? But. The research and understanding, it's not perfect by any stretch, but it's certainly improved in behavioral psychology, and so you can pull more of that knowledge into how you do leadership training. Yes. Tell us a little bit about it. How do you do that? How have you tried to pull that behavioral psychology into leadership development?
0: Yes. Specifically, uh, the organization I used to work really studied uh, motivation and how to change behavior. So they would go in an organization and they would identify what were the drivers that were really could potentially change the performance of the organization and they were identified the specific behaviors and who were the specific performers like in an airline, good example in this time, yeah. Yeah. you know, the flight attendants, uh, you know, and are very important, you know, for mm-hmm. the experience. And so they essentially were able to change the behavior by using feedback. They really um, were a very successful organization that is able to apply these uh, rules of applied behavioral science, and uh, essentially by giving particularly positive feedback, by catching people doing things right, rather than telling them when they're doing things wrong, by observing the correct behavior, people uh, are going to do what it's called discretionary effort they really go above and beyond so it's Mm -hmm. a way of influencing but it's all about leadership you know so uh, we really use these concepts in our classes as well like in the motivation retention but it's kind of interspers in the way you you do leadership on a regular basis you know sure
2: so So i've heard motivation talked about in in a very particular way in the sense that it's internalized to the person right I mean, I have my own motivations. You can't change necessarily my motivations, but you can understand my motivations and use that for persuasion and to you know, yeah. get me to do things that are beneficial to myself, hopefully, but also for others.
0: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you cannot motivate people. You can create an environment, first of all, by creating clarity on what it is that you expect from them. So that's technically called the antecedents.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm
0: being very technical now. But at the end of the day, is create the environment and it's from you giving the vision, from you understanding what it is that drives that particular person. So looking at things from their perspective that you really you really can have an impact, but it is you have to touch them you know, yeah. in the heart.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have to tell you, I, I agree basically with it. Uh, the language of you can't motivate people is always something I've had a problem with because motivation, the root of the word is movement, right? Yes. You can move people based on what their motivations are. <laughs> I want to make sure we yeah. convey to people by understanding people's motivations you can motivate them in the sense that you can move them into actions and oh you're and absolutely attitudes, i mean right? this, this
0: is the whole concept of leadership so right i don't right. want to give the idea you that i don't them. think uh, right, yeah. that i don't think that you can uh, you know be a motivator but this is what the professors in my program always say you cannot motivate people they start like that because right. i think at the end of the day they need to want to do it themselves otherwise what they're going to be doing is just compliance at the best. <laughs> right. And so uh, what you're going to get is, uh, you know, minimal effort. You know, they're going to fill the paperwork that they have to, but uh, not really care about it. So, so it has to come from inside. But you, as a leader, can be the person that triggers that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what you need to learn to do
2: with all that background, now this is in the business school at West Virginia yeah, University, absolutely. right? Absolutely. That's strange.
0: Th- now that, yeah, <laughs> it is.
2: So, in a way, it's a good thing Ooh, because yes. that it's tying forensic science into these broader efforts in the business community, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, tell yes. us
2: about how did that come about, the Management Institute be in the business school for forensic science?
0: Absolutely. So when I came on board, uh, it was 2005, and I think uh, at the time the West Virginia University already had received some funds from uh, the NIJ to create uh, the Forensic Science Initiative. And I know the FBI also had been moved uh, to the state uh, maybe a couple of years earlier, and Mm -hmm. uh, we were involved in the ASCLUD, in uh, in actually, coincidentally, we are at ASCLUD, and uh, Uh so we were involved in putting together the conference, I believe, for three years, and that's when I started. And, uh, and so Max was hired in uh, the Forensic Department and- he Max Houck is Max Hull, Hull. Hull. Mm-hmm. yes, sorry. And I also believe we had a, a concurrent effort from another professor, Dick Riley, that again with funds from the NIJ was creating curriculum for forensic accounting. Mm. So there was, we started to have interest in uh, both business of forensics and the forensic of business. So right. forensic accounting being the business of forensics, the other way, yeah, around. The other way around. Yeah, <laughs> I just messed myself <laughs> up, it's I'm fine. sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in any event, so we started doing uh, some strategic planning of the ASCLAD board, so Dr. Dolly was involved, Dr. Speaker was involved. So there was a conglomerate of very um, progressive thinkers in the College of Business Economics and in Forensic Department, as well as in the industry, such as Dean Jalamas, uh, that at Mm -hmm. the time I think it was in the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Right. And uh, and so we started attending the conference, and uh, there was a need identified, I believe, by the NIJ back in 1999 that there was a need in the industry for more management and business training, specifically in human relations. And so we had tried to do some programs at ASCLA. The time was not right. And so then we were able to utilize part of the funds to create the concept of a Forensic Management Academy, and that was back in 2006, and launched the program for the first time, fully sponsored by the NIJ uh, in 2007. Yeah, so we had the very first class in 2007, lots of applications, like we had something like 500 applicants.
2: Well, I think there's a real hunger for it. We'll put the link to, the 1999 document was the Technical Working Group on Education and Forensic Science.
0: Thank
2: you. I, <laughs> I remember the year. I, it's part of the arcana of forensic science that I just know, but it's, it, it certainly was a landmark document. And in talking about this aspect in particular, it, it also did some other things like led to the national accreditation okay. of uh, forensic education programs, like under FEPAC. Uh, you know, the, my biggest disappointment, is, not my biggest, okay. uh, one of my disappointments <laughs> with the National Academy's report in 2009 is it really glossed over this. It mentioned and referenced the 1999 TwigEd report and said, yeah, 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 we need to do more leadership and management training, but really didn't understand how central it was to almost every issue where forensic science has gotten criticized. I, you know, The vast majority certainly have some core with respect to how a lab is managed, how the people are hired and developed and the culture in that laboratory and that kind of thing, as much as the science behind a particular discipline.
0: Yeah, I understand Uh, and it definitely, there was a hunger for it in the industry. Like I mentioned, we had uh, the first three years is when it was uh, sponsored by the NHJ and we would have like 500 applicants and we had 20 spots. So it was really a challenge to pick who was going to participate. So we were trying to get across a section of, uh, of the United States. And, uh, you know, we started rolling these programs, you know, with uh, Dean Jalamas, Paul Speaker, you know, those are some of the original instructors in the program. And you can tell that uh, the participants really were like sponges. I mean, some of these concepts they, they had never heard before. That's not what they were concentrated on. Mm-hmm. And they, and also they really were benefiting from interacting with each other, sharing their challenges, because we really had a diverse group. And then we also, as part of a the program, they had to do a project where they, were writing a paper and basically telling us how they had applied what they learned Mm -hmm. in their laboratory. And I remember reading this paper, I was blown away by what they were taking, whether it would be process improvement, I remember some people did that, or whether it was uh, team building or some of the leadership concepts. We were using DISC to be able to look at people's behavior and try to understand their motivation and you know, how their, their communication was improving uh, because mm-hmm. they were reflecting on uh, starting to do a mind shift, like I was saying. Yeah, so, so I could immediately see how beneficial it was.
2: So it's a week-long course now. Was it a week-long it, course from the beginning? Yeah, the
0: format was always the same. It, it's basically the face-to-face portion is a, a week-long, starts on Sunday, ends on Friday, but it's preceded by uh, work that you do before you come. There's a questionnaire that's called the Topical Knowledge Survey where each instructor asks questions to the group related to their topic so Mm -hmm. that they can assess uh, the knowledge the participants have on that topic as well as the interest so that they can change the class to target to the actual participants. And then we send them a packet of material that is quite uh, hefty, lots of books to read, uh, like financial intelligence, doctor speaker, and uh, some leadership book, like I was mentioning, servant leader and some Mm -hmm. others. And then they come to class and so that's the boot camp (laughs) portion that that is um, very intense. you know, week-long program. So that's the entirety of
2: There's no push-ups involved, though, even though it's a boot <laughs> camp-type program. No. <laughs>
0: None of that. <laughs> None of that.
2: Okay. It's not the Marine Corps Leadership no. Program. So, tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of the breadth of it, because even with a week-long program, yeah. you still have to do some picking and choosing, because this really is so much, it really is a management academy, so it gets into some management aspects as too, I assume. Yeah.
0: It's a, it's a leadership and management. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, it's a little bit of both, so it's not just leadership it has developed throughout the years uh-huh. um, you know we really always uh, improve it we did a lot of uh, what we call plus delta in the first few years where you ask things that are you know that you want to change and things that you want to keep the same and so the curriculum really has evolved and been fine tuned and the, the people involved the instructors have uh, uh-huh. changed uh, you know for about the years for different reasons so, we always seek the best <laughs> sure but uh, the topics that are the core like leadership uh, and uh, conflict management uh, team building and then uh, succession planning which is really important so that's the leadership core and uh, you know the cost benefit analysis and budgeting those uh, remain the core of the program so there's a little bit of uh, leadership and a little bit of management one that we used to have for example is strategic planning, mm-hmm. and uh, we removed that from uh, from the program because we seek more of a focus on public labs, but you know that's something with a, maybe that would require us. Like, there's so much you can do in a week. Right. So we felt that, that we didn't have enough time to address that, that that would have been maybe a follow-up training.
2: Mm-hmm. NIJ uh, only funded for the first few years. Yeah, three. First three years, and it's now a uh, program that you either Uh, somebody pays to go to West Virginia University, but you also will do some regional events as well. Is that right? So tell me how the regional events work.
0: Yes, so if uh, we're contacted by organizations uh, and uh, they basically, uh, I do uh, an informal need analysis on the phone about their training needs. And during that conversation, I understand how many people they have that they need trained. If there's more than uh, 10, then I talk to them about the potential of us coming there and in some organization they were able to offer the training exclusively with people within the organization itself. But in some cases uh, they really only had 10 or 15 and uh, so they were able to contact neighboring labs and uh, create like a regional academy that is composed of uh, people in the the area around them. I can make you a couple of examples uh, of that. For example, the Pikesville in Maryland, uh, Maryland State Police. Yes, um, my old uh,
2: stomping grounds. Really? That's right. (laughs) Yeah, Maryland. Yeah,
0: um, they uh, teamed up twice, actually, with Pennsylvania State Police, had us there twice. They actually were one of the first custom programs we created back uh, several years ago. And then they had us back a year ago. And so they had participants from both, and even from the DC area, because I opened it up. And and then most recently, Los Angeles, you know they have the facility that has uh, the LAPD and the LSD at, right. in the same place. And Los so Angeles
2: Sheriff's Department, Department and Los the Angeles, Los Police, Angeles Department. Police Department. and mm-hmm. they
0: share a facility. And so we brought the training there, and they had other participants from uh, San Francisco, San Diego, and even Idaho, actually, because they generally send them to our academy in West Virginia. But this year, since we were over there, they decided to to Sweet. join that group. Sure, more more and, cost uh, effective. Yeah, more mm-hmm. cost effective. So we've offered this program to at least fifteen different organization, uh, by that I mean in 15 different organizations. Right,
2: so you've done the regional yeah. kind of academy yeah, in Yeah, but, but the
0: participants from those organizations were not necessarily all from that location.
2: In addition to the many people who come to West Virginia. Yeah, in
0: fact, we always uh, count the people that came to the public program, which uh, are I think in the 170 group, so it's not mm. like a large, large group, but we have hundreds of people that we actually train all over uh, the United States. We actually started doing some program abroad as well.
2: That's excellent. That's excellent. excellent. So I see Lean Six Sigma out on your, uh, among your papers, so tell me about Lean Six Sigma and, and how it relates to your program.
0: Yeah, this is more on the management aspect in my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was looking to offer additional training uh, for the forensic industry. And as I was coming to conferences, I started seeing the success of Lean Six Sigma being implemented in several labs. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the importance of uh, becoming more efficient and, uh, you know, with a backlog and uh, scarce Mm -hmm. resources. So I really wanted to contribute to that as well. And uh, this was an aspect that we were missing. And uh, so I... I started asking in the forensic industry, I call it industry, (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, as to uh, who would be the best instructor for that program. Everybody said Tim Kupferschmidt. currently uh, is the chief of laboratories uh, in New York City office of the chief medical examiner. I believe he was one of the founders of Sorenson Forensics. So he's a black belt and has implemented uh, Lean Six Sigma for over 10 years successfully in forensics. So I engaged him and we discussed what would be uh, a great format for this program because I really wanted the program to have a wide access both nationally and internationally but I also knew that it needed to be delivered during the course of time at least I I think the best ways to do it during at least six months you don't want to do like a a Lean Sigma bootcamp. so we decided the best way to achieve that goal was to offer a series of webinars live Mm -hmm. webinars so this is the second year that we are delivering the program and I'm very happy with the results we start in March and we do a series of 17 live webinars. Each webinar is two hours in length. The first one is um, an orientation on what is the concept of Lean Six Sigma, which is a process improvement methodology, Mm -hmm. and uh, also what is a good project, particularly for the class. Some people uh, enroll individually, some people enroll in teams, and they work on the same project. And then during the course of uh, six months, uh, there are these two-hour our long webinars, where you know, team does a little bit of lecturing on, on the program. There's homework, there are toll gate presentations where, where mm-hmm. the participants actually take turn to actually present uh, where they are in the project. And it's a community where everybody from different labs in the United States, and in this case also Costa Rica, because we have two participants from Costa Rica, yeah, they talk about their challenges. You know, this is what we're trying to do, and, and really, uh, team really leads everybody and, and gives advice.
2: And it's all from a forensic. Science perspective, absolutely. which is really unusual, I, I think, because Lean Six Sigma, I mean, its roots are over in like semiconductor processing. Oh, absolutely, that's a, yeah. a
0: manufacturing-based. So, yeah, but this is uh, for forensic professional, and the examples are you know from labs, and uh, the participants are forensic professionals. So, specifically for this uh, industry. So, there's a pause for three weeks where they prepare their projects, and then uh, on this particular year it's September twelfth. We get together in uh, Pittsburgh next to the airport, <laughs> easy access. And, um, and it's a uh, hub,
2: after all, <laughs> efficient of you.
0: And in the morning, we have a session uh, led by Dean Jalamas about mm-hmm. leading change. I wanted to also capture the human aspect of change, again, because I'm thinking leadership and management. Mm-hmm. And yes, you improve the process, but at the end of the day, the people have to change what they're doing. So sure. um, so Dean uh, is able to give some tools on how to get the buy-in and uh, nearly yeah. to lead change in the organization. And then in the afternoon, uh, everybody presents their project and uh, they become green belts.
2: What kind of folks have been going into that uh, into that program? Is it all managers? Or are you getting some of the bench level folks, or what kind of folks are you getting into the program? Mostly you know?
0: managers, mm-hmm. yeah, mostly managers. Some quality
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: assurance uh, people, but uh, generally not bench. Uh, I haven't had many bench scientists. Yeah,
2: I um, hope that they I hope that they really see that in the context of the leadership because I think process improvement. Especially in a modern organization, we're all kind of systems designers, right? Yeah. We have to be able to adapt to what the mission of the organization is, where our what our role is, and and how processes that we're involved in can be optimized all the time. And so I think we all have a role in Lean Six Sigma, not just the management yes. folks.
0: I think uh, they also see how more efficient it is, so they understand the value of that they have ownership uh, of improving things so from the human perspective uh, i think in a a moral standpoint uh, seeing that there is an improvement in the processes and, and things are turned around quicker it can motivate you but it is definitely important to keep that aspect in mind, the leadership aspect in the program, because uh, you know, otherwise you don't want them to say, okay, everybody turns this way today, you know, and they have to understand the reason and uh, what's the end result.
2: Sure, yeah, so, it's an interesting juxtaposition in the sense that Lean Six Sigma kind of anticipates that you're going to be dealing with the errors in the organization. And forensic science in particular is very resistant to error. It doesn't like but that's to make no mistakes. no tolerance for errors. And the, yeah, and exactly. And, and that makes it have less tolerance for innovation as well. And sometimes lack of innovation can create problems. So having that balance, how you bring in, it can be a new technology, a new research project from yeah. NIJ, you know, when they have something new coming out of the scientific laboratory or some kind of process improvement. You need to have the ability to understand how that relates to your current processes, how you can integrate it, how you can do that innovation without compromising the quality of the work.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, there are different kinds of projects. One of the effort is also error reduction, and uh, one it would have to be doing with time, you know, turning things around faster. But part of the process is to create a uniformity in how you do things. Mm-hmm. So just to study the process and make sure you always do things the same way. And I think by itself that leads to a reduction in error because, uh, you know, you have uh, a consistent process.
2: It's very ISO. Very, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ISO folks love yeah. that kind of approach yes. to it. And, and, um,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. and we're very lucky uh, to, have, uh, to have Tim uh, because uh, I think he's very passionate and dedicated uh, to this uh, Lean Six Sigma philosophy. And uh, he really is uh, very available to our uh, students. Uh, he tells them that he's, uh, he's sensei for life. And uh, so I really like to see that passion, you know, and and so uh, I suspect that that it becomes a community and uh, that, you know, he still talks to the participants from last year and uh, always available to help them. So at the beginning of class, uh, he apologizes in advance to our significant others because he says that we're going to change the way we look at things. Sure. Forever. And so that, you know, when, if we're in line somewhere, you know, we're always going to want to improve things. And uh, right. So I thought that was pretty funny. So. Yeah.
2: There's, there are a couple of different kinds of people in the world. There are people who want to keep it simple, and then there's the optimizers.
0: Yeah. Right? And so when you go through that program, optimizer. you become
2: the optimizers. Yes. I'm a very simple person myself, but I don't mind being, oh. as, as, long as, as long as you don't challenge me too much on optimizing every day, I'll be like, that's fine. So is there a way for folks to be able to learn more about the program at WVU and sort of follow up from the podcast and what we've learned today?
0: Sure. They can always reach me, but I also, uh, in our website, um, there is also a um, webinar, information webinar that we recorded uh, uh, with Tim and myself where we talk about the program, the Link Six Sigma program specifically. Well, uh, feel
2: free to give the website. We'll also long. put a link on the podcast landing page for yeah. this particular podcast so people can go there. Or what is the website? Just it's a
0: business.wvu.edu. After that, you can follow links for my center. You can find uh, the Link Six Sigma page. Thank
2: you very much for uh, participating with us, Martina. It's been a delight
1: to have you.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
1: Next week on Just Science, we will talk with Jeremy Triplett, the laboratory supervisor for the Kentucky State Police Forensic Laboratories.